33 men find themselves trapped more than 800 meters below the surface of the Chilean desert. An explosion in a mine more than a century old has created a perfect prison. The cave-in not only cut them off from basic survival needs, but caused a communication blackout from the outside world. Equipped with only two days of emergency rations, the men would need to make those supplies last for more than two weeks, lest their stone prison become a petrified tomb. Unbeknownst to them, the outside world would soon dub them as the 33. This is the unbelievable, yet true story of the Copiago mining accident. Our story begins 5th of August 2010 in the Atacama Desert of Chile, approximately 80 kilometers northwest of the town of Copiago. For the 33 men entering the shaft of an 1800s era mine, nothing was particularly noteworthy. The shaft was 800 meters deep, theoretically sufficient to conceal any skyscraper in the world shy of the Burj Khalifa. The men worked to excavate copper, gold, and other minerals. Around mid-afternoon, they started feeling vibrations. Suddenly, there was a massive explosion and the passageways of the mine filled up with a gritty dust cloud. A cave-in had occurred. When the dust settled, the men found themselves trapped nearly a kilometer underground. It wasn't entirely unprecedented. There were prior signs of potential disturbances the day before. In fact, the mine had been a site that was victim to numerous earlier accidents. A prior explosion claimed three lives in 2007. Unfortunately, little to no improvements had been made since. The miners could only ask themselves, how long will we be trapped? Will any of us survive? Does anybody else know we're here? It's hard to imagine any question more painful or harder to silence than the last one. Even if one can accept the bleak terror that rescue may not be coming, that terror becomes the comforting distraction from friends and family unintentionally left behind. It's a question with the power to haunt every stage of the Kubler-Ross grieving model, yet a logical thread one must pull at the expense of the unprepared mortal psyche. The 33 men would need to cope with this question, this looming specter, for more than two weeks. Thankfully, the outside world knew of their situation. That same night, a local emergency squad issued a rescue attempt. Their efforts proved futile, and so the Chilean government issued an order for the national mining company Codelco to coordinate a rescue effort. But two days after the initial cave-in on the 7th of August, a second collapse further complicated the situation. The second collapse ruptured blocking access to ventilation shafts, which were essential in not only safety regulations, but also in emergency points of escape. All plans laid out by Codelco or the Chilean government were now useless. Underground, meanwhile, the 33 men were struggling to buy time for the rescue they didn't know was coming. They only ate one meal every other day and drank water from a spring or nearby radiators. Living conditions were squalor, with extremely high humidity and an average temperature of 35 degrees Celsius, or nearly triple digits Fahrenheit. Many of them began to suffer other health problems. Fungal infections, respiratory problems, and eye infections were becoming common among the group, but they were still indeed 33 strong. Rescue teams had not been deterred by the second explosion. They worked tirelessly to ensure the 33 lives would be salvaged, but it wasn't easy. Just after the second collapse, rescue workers began work on drilling to send listening probes for signs of life, but outdated maps of the mine structure further complicated matters. On the 22nd of August, 17 days into the Copiago mining accident, Fruitless rescue efforts have exceeded more than eight times the intended duration of the miners' emergency rations, when finally, a probe detects tapping. 
There was movement in the mine. A probe had finally found itself in the same area as the men, and at least one of them was still alive. When the probe was drawn to the surface, a note was attached with a brief yet shocking message. It read, All 33 of us are alright in the shelter. Soon after, a video feed threaded through the small hole confirmed it to be true. It was in every sense a light at the end of the tunnel. By the next day, the miners began to receive much-needed water and nutrient gel via the narrow shaft. Rescue teams also sent communication devices and conditions underground improved dramatically. The glimmer of hope also triggered a wave of public attention that extended far beyond the borders of Chile. This media frenzy was not without its benefits. A slew of experts from mental health specialists and NASA scientists were now on site helping with concerns and issues pertaining to the miners. The men were also given adequate attention, constantly being sent first aid supplies, exercise routines, and lighting devices. Newscasters and journalists were on site 24-7 probing for updates. The San Jose mine of the Chilean Atacama Desert suddenly became a hotspot for global conversation. Their collective sacrifice had made them heroes in a world they couldn't physically access. Mining companies and engineers from around the world consulted on techniques and recovery plans. Three separate drilling rigs eventually arrived at the site. Two, known as raised bore machines, worked by drilling a small hole that would be widened. The other drilled a single wide hole, a piece of equipment normally used in oil and gas prospecting. The first hole, dubbed Plan A, began drilling on the 30th of August using one of the raised bore drills. On the 5th of September, the second began drilling, initiating Plan B. Work on Plan C, using the oil drill, started on the 19th of September. Meanwhile, the miners split into three groups, each working eight-hour shifts to reinforce the walls of the mine and to remove debris caused by the drilling. Plans for a rescue called for completion in December. However, on the 9th of October, the Plan B drill completed a tunnel two months ahead of schedule. The top 90 meters of the 625-meter shaft were lined with metal tubing in preparation for the ascent of the men in a specially designed capsule. Late on the night of the 12th of October, a rescue worker entered the capsule and descended into the mine just after midnight to draw the first worker to the surface. By that evening, the teams had extracted all 33 men. As the men reached the surface, then-Chilean President Sebastian Piñera greeted them as a crowd of spectators sang the Chilean national anthem. Suddenly, the whole world sighed a breath of relief. The worst of the Copiago mining accident had finally come to a close. In the wake of their rescue, the world at home and abroad fated the men. The Chilean government guaranteed them six months of health care, while media companies flew them to international destinations to make appearances. Some would appear as motivational speakers. However, as the initial flood of offers and media attention died down, the toll the experience had been taking on the miners and their families was becoming apparent. Coping with the after-effects of the trauma proved difficult, and some family members expressed fears that the miners had been irrevocably changed by the experience. Some of the men began abusing alcohol and drugs. Several men missed appointments in order to travel, resulting in the revocation of government-subsidized mental health care. In March 2011, a congressional commission placed blame for the collapse on the owners of the mine and Serna Gielman, a partner in the Chilean mining and geology industry. 31 of the 33 miners filed a collective lawsuit against them, asking for more than half a million dollars each. The owners of the mining company agreed to reimburse the government for roughly a quarter of the rescue costs. However, in August 2013, Prosecutors ruled that the mining company did not bear any criminal responsibility for the accident. In effect, the miners had to settle out of court. Their story would eventually be adapted to the 2015 film The 33, starring Antonio Banderas, and again in a similarly titled project, Los 33, 
still in production at the time of this publication. This has been Logical Fracture. If you would like to request an episode of A Story That Shouldn't Be True, please let us know in a Stitcher or iTunes review. Show notes, other episodes, and event images are available at LogicalFracture.com. We can also be found at Logical Fracture on Twitter and YouTube.